Hi there, I'm Tiara Vian, and this is KJZZ's Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. It's the latest stories from the week designed to catch you up on some highlights from our community. Thanks for listening for the week of November 27th, 2023. A Maricopa County Superior Court judge ruled Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake can't inspect around 1.3 billion, 1.3 million ballot envelopes from the 2022 general election she lost to Governor Katie Hobbs. From our politics desk, Wayne Shutsky has more on the ruling. Lake's ongoing election challenges rely on several allegations, including that Maricopa County election workers didn't properly verify signatures on mail-in ballots. In an attempt to prove that, she filed a public records request to inspect signed ballot envelopes. Maricopa County denied the request, and Lake filed a second lawsuit seeking the envelopes under Arizona's public records law. At a trial in September, Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer told the court he believes the law exempts ballot signatures from disclosure. Judge John Hanna agreed, finding state law only allows disclosure of ballot signatures under specific circumstances and that Lake's request did not meet those parameters. Wayne Shutsky, KJZZ News, Phoenix. In Fronteras News. Hundreds of migrants and asylum seekers are waiting for processing along a remote stretch of the border in Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument. From the Fronteras desk, Elisa Resnick reports, it's the most dramatic increase of arrivals in a months-long trend in the Border Patrol's Tucson sector. Just a few miles from the Lukeville Port of Entry Tuesday, a sea of thin silver space blankets stuck to the metal bollards of the 30-foot border wall. Some 750 people made a double-file line along the road. Owen Charles is with Humane Borders, a nonprofit that puts water out in the desert for migrants. Um, I just heard some of the men have been here for two days they're from the Border Patrol, and they said they're going to try and move them out. Most of the people are usually here overnight after they've been walking for a day or two. Charles said smugglers guiding the migrants drop them off anywhere from 3 to 20 miles from where these remote processing sites are set up. He and his wife were walking up and down the lineup, hauling big buckets full of water, yogurt, and peanut butter sandwiches. It was the first food that Darwin, a 40-year-old father from Ecuador, had had in hours. He'd been waiting in the lineup with his daughter, and he gave only his first name because he was worried talking to reporters would affect his processing with the Border Patrol. He says he'd been threatened and extorted in Ecuador. It's not the same country it used to be, he says. But for Darwin and others, the Lukeville lineup is the first step in a much longer journey. How many are y'all taking? 13? From there, migrants load into small white vans to a second location down the road and line up again, this time in front of canvas tents where Border Patrol agents were taking their passports and other information. Tucson Sector Deputy Chief Patrol Agent Justin De La Torre says after that they're taken to CBP facilities in Tucson, Nogales, Yuma, or California. But the number of arrivals in recent days here in Lukeville has slowed that process down. We're at a point uh, over this past weekend where we hit over 2,300 apprehensions a day on average. So we've continued to increase significantly, and it's really causing us to pull in every single personnel and member of our workforce. CBP data shows the Tucson sector has seen an increase in the number of apprehensions for the last several months. A ways down the road, border wall contractors mixed cement and soldered metal to repair bollards that smugglers had sawed off for migrants to pass through. As they did, another group of some 80 people appeared on the road. 
De La Torre says the volume of arrivals mean more migrants will likely be released in Arizona. Others may go to Border Patrol facilities elsewhere to have a fast-tracked asylum interview. So we're putting considerable amounts of resources and effort into processing people quickly and having them removed from our, from, from our custody. By sundown Tuesday, Border Patrol agents walked up and down the rows, handing out small boxes of raisins to the more than 700 people still lined up there, including Darwin, the Ecuadorian father. He said he didn't know what was coming next after getting out of that lineup. But he wanted to ask for asylum in the U.S., and he hoped they'd listen to him. Si necesitamos que nos escuchen. Se clamor de que escuche porque venimos con niños, venimos con mujeres. We need that cry to be heard, he said, because we're coming with children, we're coming with women. So that's what we need. Alicia Resnick, KJZZ News, reporting from Lukeville, Arizona. In business news, for many people, tis the season for food, family, and friends. This time of year takes on special meaning and extra work for a certain group of local entrepreneurs. Christina Estes reports. Arlette Gomez Pantone is making a black chili sauce called abise. It's a Togolese word that translates to pepper. The ingredient we have a uh, fresh ginger, fresh onion, fresh garlic. We have uh, some dry fish. And more, including an all-purpose seasoning she's not willing to reveal. It has all the spices from Togo, not from here. That's the secret ingredient. I don't give up easily. <laughs> That's my secret sauce. When Carmen Atticosi began working with her mother six months ago on Golden Palm Foods, she focused on product development, evaluating their sauce, seasoning, and salted peanuts from source to market. So we make consumer packaged goods, and we work with smallholder farmers and locals on the ground to bring tasty, delightful uh, products for folks who are curious about West Africa or just curious about other parts of the world's cuisine. Three months ago, Carmen and her mother started cooking inside Rio Salado College in West Phoenix. They're among the first group of entrepreneurs accepted into Local First Arizona's community kitchen in Maryvale. Local First is a nonprofit dedicated to economic opportunities. So we do go through the process of showing them how to use the kitchen. Jose Gamis with Local First says people must apply and go through interviews before committing to the two-year program. We help guide as much as we can, but the entrepreneurs have to be willing to put in the work. The work's been happening since 2018 when Local First opened its first community kitchen in Mesa, followed by South Phoenix in 2021. Determining food costs, Gamis says, is often eye-opening. As, as entrepreneurs, and it's happened to me where I think, oh man, should I really be charging 250 a taco? That seems like a lot. And then you do the math and you're like, well, really I should be charging $4. At 250, I'm losing money. Participants can rent kitchen space that includes dry and cold storage, pots, pans, and utensils for $8 an hour. A typical commercial kitchen costs 35 or more. On a recent Friday night, Farida Afunye used her mother's recipe to make her munchies cake. They usually have Mexican cookies instead of Graham cookies. Uh, yeah, Graham cookies. Strawberries, her best seller, but she's emotionally attached to another flavor. From my father's side, my grandmother was from Lebanon, so now I have the chance to honor her. She loved to cook, so now I think of her every time I'm stirring my cheesecakes and I 
make a baklava cheesecake. Farida and others have access to mentors who can answer questions, provide guidance, and offer advice. Two weeks ago, I, I called one of my, I like to tell them teachers, and I'm like, Anita, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And she was like, you need to take a day off. Like, do you have a day off? Well, on Mondays, I check emails. No, 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 no. You have to take a day off and have you time. Working six markets and festivals over three days isn't unusual. I can tell you that minimum per week, I'm making 20 dozens. For Carmen, who initially wasn't interested in working with her mom, the experience has strengthened their relationship. Now we have a a newfound appreciation for each other. I mean, do we get on each other's nerves sometimes? Yeah. But then at the end of the day, when it gets tough, we roll up our sleeves and say, okay, let's go. I love the confidence we have to each other because I trust Carmen, my daughter, and she trusts me too. For Arlette, it's about building a legacy. I want to leave something behind my children, my grand great great children. So I'll be, I'll, I'll feel so good in heaven. She already feels good. <laughs> Growing the family business with her daughter. Christina Estes, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And KJZZ is licensed to the Maricopa County Community College District. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. And now from KJZZ's The Show. A real beard, a real belly, and be real jolly. As we go inside the high-demand world of Santa, here's co-host Mark Brody speaking with Mitch Allen, where he asks, how is business this year? You know, business is booming this year. Uh, We have more requests for Santa Claus entertainers than we've ever had before, Uh, and primarily from small and mid-sized businesses. uh, We've really seen just a huge increase in the demand to help associate their brands with Christmas. Why do you think it is that you're seeing such an increase this year? Well, I think we're coming out of COVID. Uh, Everyone's back to planning the way that they have before. Um, Not only do we have record demand, but it's also earlier than we've had for the last uh, several years. So, you know, people have some certainty about what's going to go on. Um, We know how to deal with COVID, the flu, and uh, we've sort of just, I think, come back to some some sense of normality. Uh, And then I think that the economy is better than I think most people or at least the pundits are suggesting right now, that I think we're going to have a very strong holiday season. uh, And from the crowds we've seen to see Santa, if there are any indication, it's going to be a big year. So are you finding that you are staffing Santas in in retail stores, for example, places that are trying to really pick up on on holiday shopping? Is this more like holiday parties? Like what, what kinds of places? I wish it was just one type, but it's not. It's all <laughs> types of things. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, retail establishments or small businesses are using Santa to help associate their brands with Christmas, but also to help drive traffic. And, you know, Santa has been used for 120 or 30 years to uh, bring traffic into a retail, retail establishment, whether that be, you know, a standalone store or a mall uh, or even like a realtor that's having an open house and wanting to to show off a house and also to bring in their customers for customer appreciation. Any type of place that really wants to have a holiday event, there's no better way than to help bring in the uh, holiday or Christmas season than to have Santa there. Did you say that there are realtors that hire Santas to come to open houses? 
Oh, absolutely. We we get so many realtors, in fact, uh, that have open houses where they're having uh, really client appreciation events where they're bringing in all of their past clients uh, to uh, have pictures with Santa and really are just trying to establish themselves uh, in that community. Huh. What is the most unusual client, I guess, that has called mm-hmm. you and said, hey, we, we really need a Santa this year? <laughs> yeah, there's so many interesting ones that I could bring up. But the one that comes to mind first is Ski Dubai. There is literally a ski slope in the middle of the desert in the Middle East called Ski Dubai. And they have a ski slope and a what they call a grotto, which is basically Santa's house on the ski slope. And it's 26 degrees. And uh, we send Santas from America to Santas to Santas every year over there to uh, sit and take pictures and to greet uh, these people in the Middle East. Wow. And so it's a it's a very unique. Uh, they're a great client uh, and a great partner to work with, but uh, it's pretty unique. That definitely sounds pretty unique. So, like, how many how many Santas are we talking about? How many how many Santas do you have out in the field this year? Oh, hundreds and hundreds. You know, we added uh, here at HireSanta.com, we added over 1,100 Santa Claus entertainers this year alone. Wow. Uh, we have thousands in our database. And, you know, on any given day, uh, we'll have several hundred Santas across the country and across the world uh, out there helping to bring the love and joy of Christmas to life. What is recruiting like? You know, that's a full, that's that's a year-round process here at Hire Santa. Uh, we uh, really try to be part of the Santa Claus community. We're very active online. We go to uh, conventions and schools around the country. And yes, there are Santa conventions and Santa schools uh, huh. around the country and Santa organizations that we're a part of. And we go to, we put on lectures, we put on um, uh, classes, as well as try to connect with Santas who don't already know about Hire Santa. And that's how we are able to uh, increase the number of Santas that we have, because that's really our limiting factor is uh, we just need more Santa Clauses because we sell out, uh, particularly on weekends every single year. Wow. Well, so like, is there a, a big demand of people who are who are clamoring to, to put on the suit? Oh, yeah. There's a huge demand uh, for Santa Claus entertainers, particularly on Saturdays and Sundays in December. Now, to be a Santa, not just anybody can be a Santa. Uh, here at Hire Santa, we like to say... They've got to have a real beard, a real belly, and be real jolly. Uh, so and not only do they have to look the part, uh, they've got to have that love and joy, that twinkle in their eye, and uh, a real desire to uh, be Santa to uh, children of all ages. Do you find that there are enough people who, A, want to do it, and B, meet the criteria? Uh, there are definitely not enough Santa Claus entertainers. We could use probably twice or three times the number of Santas that we have, uh, but it's always date, time, and location. You know, we we may have some Santas who are available, but they live, you know, a hundred or a thousand miles away from where they're needed, and so um, it's not economically feasible to tr- have a Santa travel across the country for a one-hour or three-hour event. Uh, it's really trying. That's what we do here at Hire Santa all day, every day, is find Santas and then try to put this jigsaw puzzle together. That is the scheduling uh, that we have to do. Okay, so let's assume that somebody comes to you and they have the real beard, they have the real belly, mm-hmm. and they're and they're very jolly. What extra training do they need? Like, what else do you have to teach them before you're ready to to send them out to a Christmas party or something? Yeah, so once they have the look, um, and here at HireSanta.com, our Santas are background checked and also carry uh, entertainers insurance. But they once they have all that, most of the time we suggest that they 
go to one of these local or regional or national uh, Santa schools or Santa conventions, because during those times, there's lots of great training information. Most of those events also have a new Santa class or day where it really goes over the basics of how to be Santa, how to interact, how to answer questions. You know, there's a number of hard questions that come up as Santa. And in addition to that, it's about taking care of yourself. You know, people think you're just sitting in a chair, but you're really being on. It's like an actor mm. who's performing all day, every day, uh, and it can be exhausting. So we really encourage our Santas to take care of themselves before the season as well as during the season. So this might sound like a ridiculous question, but I'm curious if you have encountered people who generally meet the criteria, but, you know, maybe, for example, like they have trouble growing a beard or like, you know, they've had to go on a diet and, and, you know, they've lost some weight and don't, you know, don't really have the Santa belly. Like, do you run into that problem? (laughs) Uh, So let me go the uh, first, the beard. Uh, the vast, vast majority of our Santas, like 95% more, are real bearded Santas because that's what the community wants. Uh, there are some very, very good uh, fake bearded Santas. Think glue on beard, like Tim mm. Allen and the Santa Claus movies Okay, um, that really are amazing. You wouldn't know, know that they're not real bearded Santas. Um, now, in terms of uh, jolliness, it's been a trend, and it's a healthy trend over the last four or five years where many Santas are slimming up. And we are seeing very few, uh, if any, complaints or uh, about a, a thinner Santa. All right. That is Mitch Allen, founder and head elf at HireSanta.com. Mitch, thank you so much for your time and a happy holidays. My pleasure. Merry Christmas. In Tribal Natural Resources, which is supported in part by a grant from the Katina Foundation. In the first part of this series, Gabriel Pietrazio reported how Ramona Farms is preserving its heirloom Pima 60-day corn through commerce on the Gila River Indian Reservation. Now he heads north to Hopi country to learn lessons from one Hopi dry farmer who finds harvesting corn spiritually nourishing. We're out here at the very edge. My family, Sun Forehead Clan, they call us Nutunksinum, which means the last people. Gary So means that literally. Ancestors from his clan reached Second Mesa only about 400 years ago. Depending on how early your clan arrived is how close your field is to the village. Bear clan, they were first. Their cornfields are the closest to the Mesa. All the other inner areas were already occupied. And then so out here, this is what we call Kalavek, at the very edge. There aren't any more plots beyond this barren spot along State Route 87, where So's single-acre field resides on the Hopi Reservation. It's enough land for him to steward three decades of dry farming or growing crops without irrigation, all by himself. An only son, So began stewarding his mother's seeds after serving in the U.S. Marine Corps. But I really don't want those ones. I want the ones that are dry. The 55-year-old rustles through withering corn stalks, searching for ears of Hopi corn and dumping them into his plastic purple laundry basket. I'm going to walk through here, salvage what I can salvage, and then after that, I'm not going to come back. Today's his last day in the field, before spring, in preparation for next season, a profoundly solemn time. We're going to lay them down. You do that with reverence. You inter them. You know, and you say goodbye. Corn is sacred to their Hopi way of life, often used during prayers and ceremonies year-round. Even newborn babies are given corn mothers, a little ear of white corn with four kernels at the tip, when welcomed into the world. 
in past years, so drove up and down each row, tossing bushels of corn onto a tarp in the bed of a truck. But now... There are going to be years like this. Heat stress caused by triple-digit temperatures fried entire rows of drought-resistant bundled seedlings. It saddened him to see some of them not survive. Pests like quail and crows pose problems for so, and so does being away. He struggles to find a balance between spending time at Hopi Grounds, a coffee shop he opened in 2021, and his religion in the field. I met him on a Sunday morning in September at his shop along State Route 264. He invited me out to his field, a little more than 10 miles away. First, we made a short detour, so went home to see if any of his sons would tag along, but none of them came. It's supposed to be a family thing, but they all have their own issues. This is something that So does on his own. But this corn, it's got soul. It's got an identity. They feel. And if you neglect them, like you, if you neglect children, they get wayward. They don't grow. Tending to his corn is akin to raising a family. I need to be instilling into my sons, this is what I hope he does. And part of practicing his faith. The rituals, all the songs are about rain. You're praying for something. You're singing about something and all plentitude and everything else. And if you're not growing a field, what's the point? As the father of four sons and a daughter, one of So's closest relatives taught him that corn are your children. Every single one of these plants deserves your individual attention. You know, just like kids do. I have I've bent to them. One point or another during the growing season since May. Another lesson. Never come to your cornfield angry. Because when you're angry around your children, they get scared. Come here with a song in your heart. So talks, touches, and even sings to them. Look at where we are. You are the most beautiful thing that I can see. And then, you know, as they grow, and then I'll just say to them, tzabopete, tzabopete, just a little bit longer. And I say, your work is almost done. It's also his form of healthy living, therapy, and fitness. He quit drinking less than a year ago. This arduous labor has helped him heal and stay sober. When I'm out here, that's what I tell myself. I'm not just working corn. I'm out here fighting diabetes. I'm out here fighting hypertension. You know, I'm out here fighting depression. The hard part will be putting it out of my mind, you know, and then finding something else to do until next year. Despite being disappointed with this season's harvest, So doesn't regret it. It's a bummer that the crows are here and all of that, but my journey is done. What if I didn't plant? I'd be standing here looking at this empty field, wondering, what are the possibilities? What could I have done? For KJZZ News, I'm Gabriel Pietrazio, reporting from the Hopi Reservation. Find the Heirloom Corn series on our website, tribal.kjzz.org. And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. In education news. A Republican-led panel took shots at Arizona State University Monday, accusing the school of discouraging conservative speakers at two recent events. Although the university went forward with hosting the speakers, GOP lawmakers may still seek to cut ASU's funding. Cameron Sanchez reports. When a conservative donor pulled funding from ASU, the school shuttered the center he funded and laid off its executive director. She said the school discriminated against her based on her ideology, causing Republican lawmakers to investigate free speech issues. Although they cited no examples of conservative speakers being silenced, committee chair Anthony Kern says the school favors liberals. These Marxist professors that teach queer theory and anti-American garbage, they get away with this stuff because nothing's done to them. 
and it's under the guise and smoke and mirrors of free speech. ASU found through an internal investigation that no policies were violated, but the Republicans remain unconvinced. Lawmakers say they will punish the school and the governing Board of Regents through future legislation, indicating that they may try to cut the school's funding. Cameron Sanchez, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And finally, in science news. Could music be the key to helping women who are experiencing sleep problems during menopause? A recent study suggests that it could. Kathy Ritchie has more. Roughly 40 to 60 percent of menopausal women complain of sleep problems, from falling asleep to staying asleep. And lack of sleep over time can affect a woman's quality of life, both at home and at work. Now, a recent study of 100 women shows that music and therapeutic touch, which is a form of energy healing similar to Reiki, significantly affected sleep quality and improved menopause symptoms. Larger studies on the benefits of complementary and alternative medicine, like sound and touch, are needed to confirm their efficacy. The study appeared in the journal Menopause. Kathy Ritchie, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And this has been the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast, made possible in part by Helios Education Foundation and Alliance Bank, the Vitalist Health Foundation, the Intel Corporation and Beach Fleischman, the Arizona Community Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Thank you for listening to KJZZ and for your generous support. I'm Tiara Vian, and this is KJZZ, your news and information station.